0: about 20 years ago there was a film which achieved a great deal of success called Speed some of you may possibly have seen it I'm sure it must have been shown on television no end of times by now for those not familiar the story is of an urban terrorist who contacts the police to say he has fixed to an intercity bus a bomb that, will, that is so set up that it becomes activated when the bus exceeds 50 miles an hour. When the bus slows down below 50 miles an hour, it will explode. The police discover that the bus in question is already travelling at more than 50 miles an hour, and that's the theme of the film. Um, All the passengers being prisoners on a bus hurtling along the freeway, facing death if it slows down. You may feel like that this week. Rushing along with so many things to do and you may be thinking to yourself, how can I possibly slow down? There's so much to do with the family coming and with presents still to buy, and Christmas cards still to write and all these other things, all the shopping to be got in. I'm sure most of us feel like that. switching on the television doesn't help, does it? Because we're almost reluctant to switch on the news. Afraid of what we might hear, we're told in the news this week that last month alone, 5,000 people were murdered by terrorists. And the message, peace on earth, seems to be falling on deaf ears. But of course, we do know that the time into which Jesus was born was not one of unruffled peace. Historians may talk about the Pax Romana, but that peace was only maintained by the brutality of the Roman army, who were specialists at killing people in all sorts of ways that they had nothing to learn from modern terrorists. And yet... And yet, and this is my thought this morning, in that world of violence, there were some who heard the angels sing. And I want to lead you along the path that my thoughts have led me as I thought about that hymn with which we're going to close the service. It came upon a midnight clear. Oh, hush the noise, you men of strife, and hear the angels sing. What are angels? Well, forget all the popular ideas. The most reliable information we have comes from the Bible and, well, the first function of the angels was very clear from those three readings we looked at a few moments ago, wasn't it? Angels singing God's praises. They're not those cuddly little children you see on Christmas cards those beloved by artists. Angels are heavenly creatures, they live in God's presence and they praise Him night and day. They're not usually female figures as often depicted, they have men's names like Michael and Gabriel. And most times when an angel appears to somebody, their reaction is not, oh, isn't he lovely? Their reaction is of terror absolutely scared out of their wits. I'm sure some of you beside me also read C.S. Lewis, and in one of his books, he depicts angels as being like awesome beings, like shafts of lights through which a voice speaks. And I think that's a lot closer to the Bible picture than those artist depictions of the cuddly little kiddies. But what do angels do? Why do we have angels? Well, their first function, as I've mentioned, is to worship God. And our three readings illustrated that perfectly, didn't they? Of angels shouting for joy at the creation of this vast universe. Of the choir of angels singing God's praises at the most momentous event in the history of this world the coming of the son of God and that vision granted to the apostle John tasting something of the persecution that was to come sporadically and right up to this day the persecution of people who are bold enough to profess faith in Jesus Christ and he was given amongst all his visions he was given this glimpse of angels praising God (coughs) Ten thousand times ten thousand. Who's good at mental arithmetic? How much is ten thousand times ten thousand? Well, it's a lot, isn't it? It's one hundred million. One hundred million angels. I'm sure. I'm sure that John didn't have a calculator to work it out. I, it's the biggest number he could think of. Ten thousand times ten thousand angels, as far as the eye could see, praising God in a loud voice. I suppose some of you are quite pleased this morning that angels have loud voices, aren't you? Those of us who are hard of hearing, angels always speak in loud voices in the Bible. But these are shouting God's praises, 100 million. And I guess those 100 million angels were there at creation. When they, What did they do? They shouted for joy. They didn't just hum a quiet little melody. They shouted for joy, 100 million angels. What must it have sounded like? It must have sounded like a big bang. The echoes of which are still heard throughout the universe of that creation when all the angels shouted for joy. So that's the first function of angels. They praise God. Their other function is to serve as God's messengers, which time and time in the Bible we see them being sent. As to Hagar in the desert, when an angel appeared to her to give her instructions as to what she was to do. As when an angel came to warn about God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. An angel came into the fiery furnace to rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And very often angels came with a message of reassurance, especially to people like the Apostle Paul. There on that storm-tossed boat, an angel appeared to reassure him that no lives would be lost. And of course, supremely in the events of this Advent season, it's such a glorious turning point in the history of this world that the angels are busy doing all sorts of things. An angel appeared to Zacharias telling him that his wife was going to have a baby although they were both elderly and they were to call his name John. He was to prepare God's people for the coming of the Messiah. And then six months later to a young girl called Mary in Nazareth to tell her she's to be the mother of the most wonderful child who's ever been born, the Son of God. And then when Mary's pregnancy is beginning to show... An angel appears to Joseph to reassure him that his bride has not been unfaithful and to underline the fact that this baby is to have the name Jesus, a saviour. And then, shepherds in the field see this huge crowd, a great company of angels. And first they hear the instructions that they're to go into Bethlehem to see this infant king, and then it's like a royal command performance, except that it's not being performed before Caesar, nor even before Herod, nor before all the rich and famous of the land. This is a huge command performance before working men going about their ordinary business. They are sitting in the cold winter's air, Another boring night, I've no idea what they talk to each other about, and all those long nights sitting there, guarding the flocks, and suddenly there are angels, all those angels, a heavenly company. I've often wondered, I don't know whether it's occurred to you, did anyone else hear it? I think if there was a huge company of angels singing at the top of their voice or shouting at the top of their voice on a hill near Linfield, I think the whole of West Sussex would hear it. I don't know. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Do you ever hear angels and nobody else does? Then we find an angel protecting the very vulnerable life of the baby Jesus, warning Joseph to flee to Egypt with his wife and child. And it seems that this wonderful time of God coming to earth as a baby was not only a a momentous time on earth, it was a momentous time in heaven too. There was such heavenly activity. Never seen so many angels coming to earth as at that time. And of course throughout Jesus' life, angels were in attendance, ministering to him when he was in the wilderness, strengthening him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember what Jesus said, and in the Garden of Gethsemane that he could if he wished call on 12 legions of angels to deliver him how many are 12 legions? <laughs> there's 6,000 in a legion, that's 72,000 72,000 angels God could call a very small detachment from those 100 million but enough to see off the Romans I'm sure, but he didn't did he, he didn't He didn't call on all the help he could have received. You can imagine those angels poised to rush to help him. But he didn't. He said, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus suffered for you and for me, rather than call on all the hosts of heaven. And this morning, this morning we have turned aside for this brief hour We've turned aside from all the pressures of Christmas preparation, all the anxiety of all that over-information of bad news from here and there, and we've turned aside to hear the angels sing, to hear the song of praise that all those millions of angels are constantly singing, to remember with the psalmist that the Lord has put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. But how often do we bottle up that hymn of praise? How often do we go about our daily lives as as though the Christian story was just a nice story? Do we, with the hymn writer, ask that every part of our life be made up of praise. The praise of God may be seen not only when we meet together and sing these beautiful hymns, but in the difficult circumstances of tomorrow, in that difficult family situation you have, in your anxiety about your health, in your anxiety about members of your family, in your concern about the world and about this country, Do we remember the angels singing praise to God? And do we allow our lives to be just a tiny bit of that? There are things to rejoice over. Lots and lots of things. We have to look for them. People are turning to Jesus Christ every day. Praise God. In this country, in the Middle East, in Asia, Africa, the Americas, people are turning to Jesus Christ one by one. You may know someone who's become a Christian just in these last couple of weeks. I'm rejoicing over Mark Parkinson. Who's Mark Parkinson, you may ask? Well, I read about him in this magazine, The Big Issue. I hope some of you buy The Big Issue. I hope some of you read it. It has some lovely Christian testimonies in it. Not full of Christian testimonies, but you can generally find something very positive. Mark Parkinson writes this, Until about eight months ago, I was a big drinker, totally lost to drink. But I decided I wanted to kick it, get off the streets, and really start making a life for myself. I became a Christian. I became part of the Salvation Army Church in Norwich. It started when I heard a group of the Salvation Army guys speaking in the street one day, and I got very interested. I kept thinking about it. Then I woke up one morning and thought, right, that's it. I gave myself to the Lord and started to change my life around. You know something I'm sure the angels sang over Mark Parkinson? We can give the angels something to sing about. There may be a step that God is wanting you or me to take in our Christian life. And the angels rejoice. The angels rejoice at people moving away from a self-centred life and moving closer to the Lord. But there's a song which the angels sing that doesn't need a choir of 100 million. That's still a small voice, a whisper when we hush our noise and listen. I hope you will forgive a personal example here, which I'm going to tell you. It's a very ordinary story. You may think, well, I've got better stories than that, and you probably have. But this happened just a week ago, so it qualifies as a topical illustration, which I always try to use. Last weekend, we spent the weekend with our younger daughter and family, three lively children, and it promised to be a very busy weekend that we'd come back on the Sunday nights and collapse exhausted. <laughs> you know the feeling, perhaps. Um, but I had an unexpected oasis of calm. On Saturday morning, grandchild number three had gone off with dad for athletics practice. Grandchild number two had gone off with mum for dance and drama. Grandchild number one was in her bedroom revising for an exam that she had on the Monday morning. My wife was taking a shower and I sat in the lounge by myself. The morning sun was streaming through the window glistening on the frost on the parked cars outside. The suburban streets was free of traffic and it was like being in a monastery. It was quiet. It was peaceful. And instead of doing one of those things that I always do to fill up empty spaces, switch the radio on, pick up a newspaper, look for a book to read, I just suddenly was still and calm and... I didn't hear any angels singing, but I felt God reassuring me. I felt God drawing near to me, and I felt a wonderful sense of well-being, of being loved by God. It was special. I felt God saying to me, be be still and know that I am God. Some of you must have had experiences like that. I'm sure you have. But we need to seize them with thanksgiving when they're granted to us and perhaps seek out those experiences, to seek to turn aside. I know many of you go to Burswood, which is wonderful. Those of you who can't get there, there are opportunities, some of you may say, and I know I can hear you saying, well, I have too many opportunities for peace and quiet and loneliness in my home. And yes, but we can fill them with God perhaps a little bit more time to turn aside to hush the noise of our lives and to hear the angels sing, to hear God telling us that he loves us, to hear God whispering assurance into our hearts and minds you remember the story of Elijah, he thought he was all alone, he thought everyone was against him, And God drew near to him and assured him that he was not alone There were another 7,000. There are far more Christians in the world today than there are terrorists. Even among the terrorists of the Middle East, there are those, so they tell us, who are turning to Jesus Christ. I had a lovely testimony from a Salvation Army officer whom I met on holiday. This was uh, two or three years ago. She worked in Nigeria. And she said that she had spoken to an imam from a mosque in northern Nigeria, and he said, in my mosque, we all worship Jesus. To outward appearances, they were Muslims going to the mosque for Friday prayers, but he said, we all worship Jesus. God is speaking to people. Tell me, tell you something. In the three centuries after Jesus was died, there were, so the church historians tell us, ten great waves of persecution of Christians that swept right across the Roman Empire. Christians hounded from their homes, tortured, put to death, their churches destroyed. Why? Because they worshipped a Jewish carpenter rather than Caesar. And what was the end result of all those great waves of persecution? Was it the extinction of Christianity? Did Christianity become a secret underground religion? No way. In 312 AD, the Emperor Constantine became a Christian and the Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it.